0: Well, thank you, Karina. Well done. When I was a teenager, I had a pair of hiking boots like these uh, that never quite fit me. So, the ones that my mom bought for me, and when she did that, they told me that uh, they would break in, (laughs) which I think meant that the, the boot would take the shape of my foot. But in the end, it was more my foot that took the shape of the boot. One day, I remember walking with these shoes on a long hike, and my feet were really complaining. Later that evening, as we gathered around the campfire and took off our boots, I saw the feet of another young man who was in our group, and uh, he had blisters, and his feet were very red, and I realized his feet were evidently more sore than mine were. And so the next day, as we hiked, I found myself hiking behind him, thinking about his feet, watching his steps, and kind of worrying a little bit, is he okay? And I was thinking about his feet, and when we stopped to rest, it was more resting for his feet than for my feet, and by the end of the day, I realized that The more I thought about his feet and the pain he was experiencing, the less I was aware of my own feet and the pain that I was experiencing. And I remember my mother taught me, put yourself in the shoes of another. What I discovered that day is the more I focus on the discomfort of someone else, the less I focus on the discomfort of myself. I feel healing coming. And what I want to suggest today is that serving others is a step towards healing. Let's turn our attention back to Elijah, because the Lord finally will turn Elijah's attention to others. As we just read, 1 Kings 19 verses 15 through 16 say, go, this is the Lord speaking to Elijah, go, return on your way, you shall anoint Hazael, you shall anoint Jehu, you shall anoint Elisha, Others. And I wonder what it it meant for Elijah to hear the Lord at this point say, I still have a purpose and a plan for your life. I mean Elijah had wanted to give up his life, Jezebel wants to take his life, but God wants to bless his life and bless others through it. I have a plan for you, I still have a purpose for you, that is to serve. What I think we're learning here is how God begins to bring mental and emotional wholeness to someone who's fried. We've been learning these practices, remember, if you haven't got the series, I encourage you to go back and, and listen to each of these messages, they've been helpful to me. But these practices, each uh, along the way, we've picked up boundaries, Sabbath, lament, last week with West Hill, spiritual friendship. And there's one more before we go, and that is service. The oil of service. What I'm saying here is that a focus on others can bring healing to ourselves. Catherine Green McCrate is a young mother and a Yale PhD. And she tells the story of how after her second child was born, she dropped into a deep and persistent postpartum depression. And after about five years of that, she was diagnosed clinically with bipolar disorder. Just horrible, you know, major depression, hypomania, hospitalization, medication, just a horrible, horrible experience, so hard for her. But what's interesting is she's a believer, follower of Jesus Christ, and she has written this very elegant theological reflection on mental illness, her own mental illness. Uh, I I highly recommend her her book to you. Uh, It's called Darkness Is My Only Companion. And here's one thing that she writes in the book, she says, the most dangerous thing about mental illness is that it can lock us in ourselves. Mental illness can lock us in ourselves. Now this is true when we get fried too, the exhaustion can lock us in ourselves. And to an extent this is understandable because when we are fried, there's a lot of self-care that we need to do. We've got to focus on ourselves to get ourselves healthy, so that's good, but it's also dangerous. It's a small step from self-care to self-pity, and from self-pity to self-obsession. Theologians have long referred to sin, or defined sin, as the soul turned in on itself. The Latin, incurvatus in se, the, the soul turned in on itself. This is the essence of sin. And so what Catherine Green-McCrate is saying, that our, our depression, our exhaustion, they are not sin. But it's so easy in that state to turn from others, to turn from God. And if this tendency goes unchallenged in our lives, it can leave us in a very dangerous place, curved in on ourselves, locked in on ourselves. And here we find Elijah. In the middle of verse 14, something interesting happens in the Hebrew. There are three expressions for the self in one little phrase. Verse 14, look at the middle of that. In our translation, uh, we, we read, I alone am left. These are the words of Elijah, I alone am life." and that's fairly smooth translation, characteristic of the New Revised Standard Version, which is an excellent translation. The Hebrew is less smooth than that. It's almost as though Elijah is stuttering or stammering, having trouble getting the word out, and the word really is self. Some translations say, uh, uh, I, even I, only. That's the ESV in the King James Version. I, even I, only. It's the self three times in three different Hebrew phrases. You could translate that, I, me, by myself, in distress, in his experience of distress, in his depression, in his exhaustion, the the world has collapsed and it's closing in now on Elijah. And it's becoming dangerously small, centered on his self. He's locked in himself. If you if you remember the text and you've read it, study it with me. You see that this complaint he gives us. It's the second time he said it, word for word. The first time he does, it's a lament. I explained that to you. And it's healing to his self. But the second time he says it, the Lord breaks Elijah out of his self, turns him towards others. I have preserved 7,000 Israelites, the Lord says to Elijah. I have preserved 7,000. By the way, the Apostle Paul quotes this in Romans 11, verse 4, as as an indication of God's grace in our lives. But it's as if here to say, no, you're not alone, Elijah. It's as if to say, no, you can't quit. What will happen to them? Remember the backstory story starts in 1 Kings 18. We have a king and a pagan queen who are on a murderous rampage, purging Israel of fidelity to the Lord, killing the prophets by the hundreds and turning people from God. It's as though the Lord is saying to Elijah, this is not just about you, Elijah. I've managed to save 7,000 still clinging to me in this dangerous moment, fighting for their lives. People like the widow, Elijah, remember, who gave you her very last food. And and people like her son, remember, who died of an illness, and you raised him from the dead. If you quit, what will happen to them? Elijah, think about them, Elijah. Sometimes when you can't find a reason to get out of bed, you get out of bed for somebody else, don't you? You know what that is. What that teaches us is that a focus on others can bring healing to ourselves. Go. The Lord says, return on your way. You shall anoint Hazael, Jehu, Elisha, others. This is the beginning of a rescue operation. A counterinsurgency will be launched through these anointings. It'll be a movement to end violence and protect the vulnerable in Israel. See I think we are at our best when we put others first. I think I'm at my best when I put you first. What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 13. Do you hear that differently a second time? The Lord has said exactly that to him once already here on Mount Sinai. The first time, the Lord said, to wake him up to a place of grace, to the place of grace in Elijah's life. But he says it the second time, no, to commission him to share this grace now with others, to serve. Last year, uh, New York Times article, Caught My Eye. It was written by two professors, uh, Ben and Jenna Silber. They tell the story of their star student one day coming up to them with good news. She had gotten the fellowship, a very, very prestigious academic fellowship that sends you abroad and that will open up doors for you for the rest of your life. The thing that was interesting about that is that To these two professors, the student didn't seem particularly appreciative or thrilled about the fellowship. She seemed disinterested. She didn't know what to do with it exactly, where to go or where it would lead. It's as though she were exhausted by the possibilities and the many different decisions that she would have to make. She said, kind of startling these two professors, you know, maybe I'll just go home and work in a coffee shop. Now, nothing against working in a coffee shop. We should all be so lucky. I find myself doing it frequently myself. But, but the point here of this of the stories is that our educational system is great at generating opportunities for our students, but it is terrible at helping them decide which one to choose. I mean, that's their argument in the article. And they say, you know, this particular student, double major, Phi Beta Kappa founder of one club, president of another club, uh, uh, enviable internships every summer, except she she had everything she needed, except what? A, A why, except a really good answer to the question, why would I do anything next? Why would I do this or that? Why would I do anything at all? See she hasn't even graduated from college and she's already fried. The stories tell us that the question they like to ask their students is, what is the best way of life? And the reaction they get is, you can't ask that question. You can't ask that question. What are you talking about? Meaning, we can't ask questions of ultimate reality. We're, we can ask, they say, in modern liberal environment, we can ask all questions. We can debate any question except the question of ultimate question. Like, what is the best way of life? or what is the purpose of your life? Or maybe even the question that the Lord is asking Elijah here a second time, what are you doing here? In ancient Israel, God marked three offices with the anointing of oil. Do you know what they are? Priests, kings, and prophets. Those three offices were anointed with oil. In Exodus 30, if you're reading Immersed, you already got this part, the Lord gives Moses a recipe for oil, a special vat of oil, and they're to take it with them wherever they go from generation to generation. This oil is to mark people to a special office. And the oil is to signify three things, a greater person, a greater purpose, and a greater power. The person is God. The oil says, you belong to me the purpose is serving. It says, you are my chosen vessel. And the power is the Holy Spirit. I will give you strength to serve in my name. So Moses anointed Aaron as priest and Samuel anointed David as king with oil. We're told here Elijah is going to be anointing Elisha as prophet. By the way, we've never actually, there's no account of a prophet being anointed in the the Bible. We, We anticipate it happening here. But we do have Isaiah saying, the spirit of the Lord of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. That's Isaiah. The Hebrew for that word anoint is Mashiach, from which we get our word Messiah. The Greek for that word anoint is Christos, from which we get our word Christ. So the Messiah is the anointed one, but Christ is the anointed one, it's not his last name. See, because Jesus is the one who ultim- is the ultimate fulfillment of these three offices, prophet, priest, and king. Jesus speaks as God, He reconciles as God, He rules as God. And in all three offices, Jesus, our Lord, is serving, isn't He? That's what He says of Himself, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. I love what Wes said last week about Him calling us friends. I don't call you my servants, I call you my friends. But I call you to do what I'm doing, and that is to serve. The Son of Man came to serve, to give His life a ransom for many. So anointed to serve, prophets, priests, kings, Elisha, Jesus, and then watch for it, you and me. We're anointed also. The New Testament tells us so. The New Testament says, you have been anointed by the Holy One. That's 1 John 2.20. New Testament says, now it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. We're anointed. See, this is the plan. That the Christ, the anointed one, leaves behind Christians, anointed people. God has spread oil over your life. Oil. Now we know what that means, Right? You're marked for a greater person, a greater purpose, with a greater power. The person is God. You belong to me. The purpose is serving. You are my chosen instrument. And the power is the Holy Spirit. I will give you strength to serve in my name. We're at our best when we put others first. That's the why that we so desperately need. That's the teaching of Jesus. He says, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Whoever wants to be first, there's ambition for you. What are you doing here, Elijah? Remember, remember, Elijah, your own anointing? Perhaps his memory goes back, and then the Lord says, go. Serving others is a step towards our own healing. I was struck by something that uh, Rovon Wells said last week. She, Rovan Wells is the mother of Tyree Nichols and of course she's struggling for healing. Here's what she said, maybe you caught this, the only thing that's keeping me going is the fact that I really truly believe that my son was sent here on an assignment from God. Did you, did you catch that? My son, Tyree, was sent here on an assignment from God. Wow, Tyree was here, she's saying, to serve. God has some purpose for him, and that she, thought, the only comfort I can find now is that he has fulfilled that purpose, and that he's back home now with the one who sent him here. This is an expression of her faith. And I think as she says it, you're hearing a sense about what she says, what she thinks about her own life. Here's a mother who is struggling to offer up her son, to say, he does not belong to you, America. He does not belong to me, his mother. He belongs to the Lord who gave him this life and this assignment with it. And and, and in that, she's making herself a servant, as so often a mother is called to do, to serve and fathers as well. She says, this is the only way, this is the only thing that keeps me going. And, And I imagine this is what's kept her going through her own experiences of racism, in the past, and her current experience of grief in the present, and the hopelessness that this moment must feel like to her, this sense of being a servant. So for her, serving is a step towards healing. And, and this is what Cat, uh, Catherine Green McCrate found. This is the woman who wrote Darkness is My Only Companion. She began to take words in the comfort of John Calvin, of all people. John Calvin writes in his Institutes, we are not our own. And that was a comfort to her. That our lives are borrowed from God. My life is borrowed from God. That I'm not alone in the darkness. That I'm on an assignment for Him and with Him. This is what the students of Ben and Jenna Silber's story need. Students who are exhausting themselves day after day, year after year, just to create opportunities they don't know they want. For what? Opportunities for what? Money. To make a name for ourselves, to prove our worthiness, to gain power. No. How about this? To serve. That's the real why. To serve. To take up an assignment that comes from God. This is the ultimate why. To put the interests of others ahead of my own. A unique God-given assignment to serve God and others. Can you see how healing that is? To discover that there is a purpose in your life. Yes, there's pain, but there's purpose and meaning even in the pain. And there's a Savior with us in that to redeem that pain ultimately. It's healing. But it is deeply countercultural in this moment. We have to acknowledge that. This is not what we hear, this is not the, what, what gets reinforced in the culture. We are told by the world that our purpose is to find ourselves, to celebrate ourselves, to express ourselves. We're told, frankly, that our lives are all about I, me, and by myself. And so notice how countercultural Jesus is at this point. He talks about a cross, he talks about carrying a cross. What could be more countercultural than the idea that we're meant to crucify the self? Please don't let your friends know we were talking about this today. Jesus says, if you gain the self, you could still lose the self. If you gain the world, you could still lose yourself. Jesus teaches us, in fact, that we find ourselves by losing ourselves, by serving. See this is the teaching that the Lord is giving Elijah in this moment, so I say go. Go Elijah. Go hairy man with leather belt. You know how he dressed. Go get your flask. Go for the widow. Go for her son. Go to Hazael and Jehu and Elisha. Think about them, not you, for a moment. You're gonna be okay. I know you're tired, but serving is energizing. I will empower you. Let's make your world bigger, Elijah, much, much bigger. Reconnect with your assignment. Remember who you are, Elijah. Remember you're the guy who stands before kings. You're the guy who prays the weather. You're the guy who calls down fire. You run like the wind. One day and one day you will ride a chariot of fire. Go hairy man, go. Take your oil and serve. And this is our assignment too. To be a servant people. I want to invite you just to take a moment some time in worship today before you leave and ask the Lord to identify one way you can serve this week. Just one small way that you can serve. And as you do that, I have three practical suggestions for you. Number one, let the activity follow the attitude. Focus on the attitude. Servant. Be a servant. Have a servant attitude. There's no need to add another to do to your busy schedule. I know that, no, nor mine either. What we want to do is just bring an attitude to what's already on the list. You have a calling, maybe a student, a nurse, a plumber, a boyfriend, daughter of an aging parent, whatever it is, just bring the attitude to that situation. I am a servant, that's the attitude. My life is not my own, that's the attitude. I'm on assignment, you're going to bring a new why to an old situation and you might discover A fresh what following along the way as the Lord works. So let the attitude follow the activity. Let the activity follow the attitude. Secondly, let your misery become a ministry. And many of you already demonstrate this so beautifully. But what I mean by that is to serve out of your own experience of pain. Where you've been hurt, this is where the Lord often first and most dramatically applies his oil, the oil of healing. When we're hurt, where we've struggled, where we failed, this is where we experience the oil of grace. And it's from this oil that we find the oil of service. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 4, uh, Paul says, I comfort you with the comfort that the Lord has given me, with which He's comforted me. So if you're a recovering addict, addict, probably your best ministry is going to be with addicts. If you're a cancer survivor, probably one of your best ministries will be to people who have cancer diagnoses. I mean, Catherine Green-McGray is a great example of somebody who has, because of her bipolar disorder which continues to this day, she has an amazing ministry, countless lives. Think of how many people she's perhaps saving because she's letting her misery turn into a ministry. And then third, finally, start with your neighborhood. Start right where God has put you. I believe that is an assignment. And this is God's calling for us at UPC, this is, remember, our mission in the neighborhoods. I want to remind you of our five values, we're to live gospel-shaped lives, Uh, we're living as family, always in community, we're sent for others together, Uh, that's what we're talking about today, serving others, we're growing with students and global culture. See this starts next door, this is the growing edge of our church and it's the growing edge of your life as well, as I'm finding that in my life, we had our neighborhood breakfast this week and this is where I'm growing and seeing Jesus really work in my life. I have a, I have a friend who told me last week, he said, you know what, I've, I've started driving for Amazon, and it's surprising because he's, it's, he's not about the money, he has a really big actually quite full job, and he's just doing a few hours a week. Why are you doing this? Well, I want to get out into the neighborhoods, it was, it's about neighborhoods, it's about people. See, people are always glad to see me, you know, you can, you can, it's like they're glad to see me, that's a good feeling, right? And and he says, and I have had so many conversations with door people and people out on smoke breaks and dog walkers. And this is what he said, I, I, I kid you not, he said this, he said, it's healing me. It's healing me. Thank you Amazon for one life. Yes, I learned something from a pair of hiking boots. I guess they were breaking me in after all, these old boots stamping their shape on my foot, on my life, the shape of a servant. This is my prayer anyways. They remind me now that my life is not my own. With joy I can say to you, I am not my own. Because somewhere along the trail, you and I meet a divine friend who has quite literally put himself in our shoes, a friend who walks among us who took off our shoes and washed our weary feet. A friend who did not think equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant even to the point of death on a cross. He died in our shoes so that we could walk through eternity in His. And that's the good news. Let me close our whole series with the words of a a missionary who gave up his life in China, at Cambridge University, to go to China. His name was C.T. Studd, and he wrote a poem, and at the end of the poem, he wrote this. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Our pastor in Boston used to repeat this almost every week. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And then he writes, C.T. Studd, and when I am dying how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has burned out. For Thee. Let's pray. Lord, You have offered Yourself in Jesus Christ, Your body, Your blood, that we might stand here in Your presence knowing ourselves to be completely forgiven, embraced, eternal creatures. And we thank You for that. We're grateful for that experience of grace. I pray that everybody in this room has had that experience of grace. And from that place, now let us be sent out into the world as your witnesses, full of your Holy Spirit and the joy and the peace that comes only from you, that we might serve our neighbors, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Amen.